0: I'm Kristen Kelly, and this is Mom School. Hey guys, it's been a minute since I've released a podcast episode. I've been up north in Michigan with my family, and being on vacation with kids is not a vacation. But I've missed you all, and the time has come to release another episode. I also have a sinus infection. I think I sound kind of sexy, but if you're wondering why I sound like this, That is why. But today I have a conversation with Ariana Bradford. She's the founder of Not Your Average Mom Project. And I found her on Instagram where I find most friends in my life. And she's awesome. She just talks about real life as a mom of two. Her son is going to be six in August. Her daughter is four. And she has no filter. She shares a lot of things that a lot of us think and are hesitant to expose. And she also just takes incredible photos. But she also shares hilarious memes and other things that I love. So she is real and raw and funny and honest and cool as shit. So during our conversation, we talk about wanting more than just motherhood, setting boundaries with your kids. We talk about the need to be selfish. I love her mindset around this. And we talk about the pressure to change who you are after you have kids, isolation, racism. As a woman of color, she shares how she talks to her own kids about racism And that part I found really interesting. And she also shares a little bit about her book that just released on July 7th, Shame on You, Big Truths from a Bad Mom, which you have to go buy. You can get it on Amazon. So she's awesome. I love talking with her and I hope you enjoy listening to our chat. So here is my talk with Not Your Average Mom Project founder, Ariana Bradford.
1: The big thing for me was that, you know, my daughter was about a month old and I had just really come to this realization that a lot of people had stopped expecting much out of me once I had had kids. And I realized that a lot of my mom friends were constantly feeling isolated and unsure in terms of what to talk about. They were afraid to really talk about things that were plaguing them because they were afraid of being, you know, a bother to one another, or they were afraid of just not being judged. (laughs) Yeah, being judged. But it was more like they were just afraid of finding
0: out that they were the only ones. You said something interesting that people didn't expect much of you after you had your kids. So one of the conversations that I've been having a lot on this podcast is challenging the status quo of motherhood and empowering women to pursue more than just motherhood. And it's okay to do that. It's not a selfish thing. It's great. I think
1: that you're spot on. I think that dreams and wants are very important. And I am a huge proponent of parenting being only part of who we are. And I have had people who have kind of gotten their hackles raised when I've said this, like in posts and things like that, where they've said, well, my kids are my life. And it's like, okay, you can love your children, but They can't be your life, especially since they're going to be moving out of your house at some point, hopefully, you know, you don't want (laughs) your life to, you don't (laughs) want your life to be wrapped up in these little people because that's exactly what they are. Little people, which means they're going to grow up to become somebody else. And It's really hard because I talk to moms of all ages and the mothers of older children who were wrapped into this because there hasn't been as much of a movement for you know real parenthood up until very recently. They've talked about how hard it's been to recover themselves and to figure out what they like to do and to find what fulfills them. And I just don't think that that is a fair way to be expected to live. I think that you should be allowed to know and to acknowledge what makes you feel like you because you are a whole person and parenting is really only part it's a huge part but it's a part of who you are okay so tell me more about your book so it's a collection of essays and it's very sweary because I have a mouth like a sailor usually same um, <laughs> same same, same. <laughs> and it's talking about I call it a parenting book because it's very hard to find another term for what it is but it's not just about parenting there are many many chapters in there that do refer to parenting and that do refer to the difficulty of it because there are a lot of things about it that are difficult, but it also talks about you, you being the mother or the parent who's reading it. Most people are mothers, but you know, it's talking about you and the things that you often feel shamed into not doing because you are afraid of being judged. Like, Holding up boundaries between you and your kids. Now, you're not necessarily hugging them just because they asked for it or letting them crawl on you just because they want to. Being selfish for yourself. You know, one of the things that I hear a lot of people say that I just don't think it needs to be said is, you know, they say, well, self-care is not selfish. And yes, it is. It's absolutely selfish, but that's okay because selfishness isn't necessarily bad. Oh, actually- I like that. <laughs> selfishness isn't
0: necessarily bad. It's so true. We have it's- this... It is. believe that
1: it's bad and it's not. It's not. Honestly, it's like we're trying to find this way around just being honest and saying sometimes you have to be selfish and it's okay. Really what we need to work on is we need to work on our guilt around being selfish. And so that's another thing that I talk about. I talk about not feeling like you have to be Wonder Woman. All the time, that you don't have to be able to do all the things, that you don't always have to win every battle, that like being super and amazing isn't what makes you a good mom. So, you know, there's a lot of talk in there too, just about you as a person. So it's kind of a mixture of talking about my thoughts on like how weird kids are, because they are. That's actually the first chapter is talking about how weird weird. kids are. (laughs) Um, (laughs) They're weird as hell. I get that. But, you know, on the other side, it's also talking about like, listen, We get shamed a lot for trying to fulfill ourselves as people and trying to feel like people and trying to satisfy parts of us that may not necessarily be kid related. And that's not fair. And you should not be feeling like you have to give these things up in order to be good parents. You can be good parents and good people. I know my journey
0: that landed me in feeling the same way that you do about a lot of things that you mentioned, but how did you become like this? Like, what was your motherhood journey like that landed you here?
1: (laughs) How did you become like this? Um, uh,
0: Why are you like this? How are are you like, I don't know. I get asked that a lot (laughs) because like, it takes courage and it takes bravery to be this open and honest. And it's funny. You say that a lot of women would come to you and be like, no, me too. I feel this way too. And I had that exact same experience when I opened up about it, when I started to gain an Instagram following so many people would say me too. And it was always the women who I looked at and was like, oh shit, I thought you were like the PTA mom who had it all together. They're like, no, no, no. I was like hysterically crying in my bathtub all last (laughs) night. I think it takes courage and bravery. So I'm interested as to how you, how you became
1: not your average mom. I kind of think that it's a mixture of a few things. I think for one, I was very lucky in that I had a mom who understood the way that I thought about things. And whenever I would come home from school, you know, being picked on or someone would say something like, you're ugly or "you're stupid, my mother's response was never to automatically say, well, they're wrong. What she would say is she would ask me, well, are you stupid? Well, are you ugly? And it would make me have to sit and think. And, you know, obviously if I had returned and said, well, yes, you know, then she would have had a deeper conversation with me. But most of the time I would sit and I'd think and I'd say, no, I'm not stupid. And she'd say, okay, well then I don't really understand why you're giving these people the time of day. And I think that that kind of built me a foundation for kind of always knowing who I was and acknowledging who I was. And that made it very hard for me to do anything else because, you know, I was a talker. I was a very loud kid. And I knew that that made people uncomfortable. And multiple times in high school, I remember telling myself, okay, today's going to be the day today's going to be the day that I'm going to go to my PE class or whatever class and I'm going to be quiet and I'm going to be demure and I'm going to be really easy to talk to and everybody's just going to absolutely adore me and you know it's going to be totally different and no one's going to be like why are you always talking and I would last 10 minutes and then I would be right back to being like what's everybody up to I'm the party you know And so I think after a while, I just kind of realized, you know what? There is no hiding who I am. I can't do that. I literally cannot. And so I just kind of became comfortable with that. And then after I had kids, I was like, why is everybody expecting me to suddenly change this person that I haven't been able to change since I was like 14 years old? It just doesn't make any sense. Mm -hmm. And then the more I started talking to people, the more I started realizing that more people were feeling that pressure to change who they were. And I was like, this isn't fair. This doesn't make any sense to do this to anyone. Just because you have children, if anything, children need to be able to see that their parents can be goofy, that their parents can be sarcastic, that their parents can be angry or frustrated or set. Like they need to see these things. Yeah. They're human. Because of, yeah. Well, because you, you know, you even pointed it out one day they're going to grow up and they're going to become parents themselves, maybe. And if they are the worst thing that we can set them up for is believing that, especially when they start feeling these emotions, these frustrations, when they start feeling these things themselves, if they remember, oh, well, my mother never felt this way, or my father never felt this way, I am a failure. That's not good for you. That's not good for them. God, it's that's just so true. It's not honest. So, I mean, long answer to your question. No, I love is, it. This is good. I don't really know. I just know that I became this way because I Have always been very honest with who I am because I can't help it. And it's just one of those things that I feel everybody kind of feels isolated because they feel like they can't. And I want them to know that, yes, they can. That's very important. Well, we're grateful for
0: your voice because it's true. So many people don't want to say it. No, Um, so many mothers don't want to say it. And then when somebody who has the courage to say it does, it's like freeing for everybody.
1: One thing that I will add, this is something that I'm also extremely vocal about like every time I talk about this, is we also need to understand though that our version of real isn't necessarily someone else's version of real either. One of the things that I have heard a lot of people say is, you know, oh gosh, like, I am so thankful that I have your account because, you know, I hate these accounts where they have like perfectly clean rooms and the kids are happy. And it's like, listen, <laughs> maybe that's not her truth, but maybe it is. Maybe she's one of those few people Very lucky people, might I add, who just is always like she loves cleaning her house and she loves playing with her kids. And we're not necessarily going to get down on her and say, well, you're not real enough for me because that's also isolating. And so what we really need to get comfortable with is we need to get comfortable with ourselves as parents, be comfortable with the kind of parent we are and stop trying to use other people's parenting or other people's parenting advice or however they do things as a definition of how we should be doing it. Because other people don't exist to define us. We find people we connect with, but they don't exist to show us that we're doing it right or doing it wrong. Just so, being authentic yeah. is the end goal, I think. Exactly. Exactly. So, it's you know, a lot it's, easier said than done. <laughs> it is. No, it totally is. I'm not gonna lie. I still remember when my son was about three or four and I was watching another little boy who was older than him, but I did six months, and at this age six months still makes a difference. Who oh, was yeah. starting to sound out words. And I remember being like, Am I doing it wrong? Because like my four year olds can't read. Like, you can't stand out words. Yes. And I remember having to shake myself and be like, okay, first off, that kid is older. Second off, he's a different kid. Third off, this has nothing to do with me. Like, I don't know why I'm turning it into a me thing. We can't help it. We're terrified of doing it wrong. And so, you know, we're always looking for signs that we're doing it right. But I guess... I just want to make it clear that when I want people to be real, by real, I mean their real selves. And that doesn't necessarily mean that you have to be a hot mess or that you have to be like going through anxiety or depression or anything like that. There are people out there that exist like that, and I want them to feel comfortable. But I also want the people who get up at 4 a.m. to make muffins (laughs) to
0: also be comfortable (laughs) living. I love that. I love that. It reminds me of two things. One is Erin at Totem Women is a friend of mine. And she wrote a post a couple months ago saying that she had intended for this Instagram account of hers to be authentic and real. And she found herself straying from that and hiding that she actually really loved breastfeeding, actually really loved the newborn phase, but she felt like she had to, dim her light a bit because everybody else was out there complaining about it. And like, that's not the goal. Just, just gotta be you. Your posts lately have brightened my day because you make me laugh, even though they're very serious with all that is going on in the world. What do your conversations with your kids look like around Black Lives Matter, around, around all of it?
1: Well, to be honest, And I know that this surprises a lot of people, but I have not tried to actually have that conversation a lot with my children. And I haven't because they're small and because I want them to continue being innocent for as long as they can. I know that eventually there is going to be a time where I am going to have to. You know, expect for them to leave the house and that they are going to come face to face with people who I have to be worried about. And at that point, I feel that, you know, we have them laying pretty strong building blocks, I feel. And we have touched on it a little bit. My son the other day saw me watching a video about the protests and he asked me why they were angry. And, you know, I kept it super, super simple. I just said, you know, because these people are angry because a man died because a man, I didn't say a police officer, because right now, you know, I I don't want to have to explain to him, hey, well, some police officers are bad guys. I don't. So I just said, you know, because a man killed another man. And, you know, he, he said, why? I said, well, son, he was not careful. And he probably was not careful because he did not Like the man's skin. And, you know, we kind of went back and forth a little bit where he was like, Well, why wouldn't you like his skin? And I said, You know, there's not really a reason, son. Some people just don't understand that that doesn't mean anything. All it means is that I'm a little darker than you and you're a little lighter than me. And then, you know, because he's almost six, he was just kind of like, Okay, I would like to go back to watching cartoons. And that was the end of that conversation. (laughs) But, you know, we don't shy away. From when they ask about skin color, because I think that the mistake a lot of people make is getting into this attitude of, oh, well, if I teach my children about differences, if I teach them about skin color, then that's actually going to lead to racism, which is right in the same lane as if I teach my kids about safe sex, that's going to make them have sex. Right. It doesn't make sense. (laughs) It's like, no, they're going to recognize skin color on their own. The way that you can help is by making sure that you are teaching them to recognize skin color in a way that's healthy and not in a way that is causing them to look at things in a way that is adding to systemic racism and just racism in general. So, you know, my daughter has very curly hair. And she's noticed recently that I don't because I keep my head shaved. And instead of saying, oh, yeah, well, you know, it's just that, that's hair. And then trying to move past the conversation, we talk about like, yes, you know, you have long, pretty curly hair. And some people are going to have red, straight hair. I mean, you know, your brother has straight hair. and Mommy usually has curly hair, but her hair is shaved. My son also did recognize that he has because my husband is Caucasian and he's noticed that his grandmother is white. And he's noticed that my mother, his other grandmother, is brown. And he has said things before where he, at one point, on his own, started calling them brown grandma and white grandma. Uh, <laughs> and we had not taught him that. And we both actually looked at each other the first time he said it. And we were like, did he just say brown grandma? But, Kids you know, are weird, of, like we said. Yeah. They're so weird. And it's, but instead of getting mad, and instead of saying, like, don't call her that, You know, I did teach him to call her, you know, Grandma A or Wella or something like that, that was more not about her skin color. But we didn't make a big deal about it because you do want them to notice those differences. Those differences should be celebrated. And so it wasn't a huge to-do. We never make a huge to-do of him noticing skin color. What we do is, you know, we agree with him. Yes, you are correct. That person has brown skin and you have olive skin. Isn't it pretty? Yes. Okay. And then we move forward. So, you know, we've been doing little things like that. But in terms of talking about Black Lives Matter in itself, my children personally, I think some people have kids that might be more ready to hear these things. My children just aren't. They're too young.
0: I want to know what you think the most challenging part of motherhood overall is. Overall,
1: I think it is overcoming guilt more than anything else. If there is anything that I wind up speaking on to people the most, it's guilt. Because the thing is, we are told one of two things. We're either told that our guilt is infallible, or we are told that we shouldn't feel guilty, which is like telling somebody not to feel sad or not to feel happy. Like You you can't tell somebody not to feel something. Guilt is a chemical reaction. You can't stop it. And so I think we're always in this battle of I did this thing and now I feel guilt, but I shouldn't feel guilty, but I do. But why do I feel guilty? Am I wrong? And it's hard. Like, even with me knowing what I know about guilt, I still struggle a lot with feeling guilty, even for doing things that, like, You know, recovering from being sick and being in bed for two days. I haven't been sick lately, by the way. In this (laughs) this particular
0: (laughs) But isn't it wild? I mean, I can relate to that so much. You feel guilty about recovering from being sick. Like that is motherhood in a freaking nutshell.
1: It is. I had a surgery three years ago. And, you know, I wasn't able to lift anything for, I think it was like four weeks. And during those four weeks, I felt so guilty that I wasn't picking up my kids and helping around the house. And it was like, I literally had to have surgery, but that it was guilt anyway, because we have it shoved into our heads from really before we have children that if you're a good parent, you are, especially if you're a good mom, you are caretaking 24 seven and you never stop and you never turn it off and you never need a break. So, you know, I would say that that's the hardest and really the only suggestion that I have for that, that has worked for me is just remembering that your guilt is nothing but a warning signal. I did not put this in my book and I hate myself for it. But when I speak to people about this, I always say that, you know, guilt is it's like, you're the CEO, and guilt is the over-eager intern who really wants a promotion. So the best way to deal with guilt is... Yeah, thank you. <laughs> That's <laughs> but it's really, really the good. Best, the best way to deal with that is to just... When guilt puts something on your desk and wants you to just automatically stamp it, Instead of automatically stamping it and giving your guilt a promotion, read over it first and decide if it's something that you actually need to pay attention to or something you need to shred. And if you look at it that way, you remember that you are the boss, not your guilt. And so it makes it a lot easier for you to decide, I'm feeling guilty because I'm sick, but that is absolutely ridiculous. I need to rest up and I'm going to roll over and I'm going to go back to sleep and I'm going to stop feeling guilty. Doesn't work perfectly? No. No. But it has helped me multiple times to say, no, I'm the boss. My guilt is not the boss. I'm the boss.
0: Like you say, for guilt to appear, right, it's a chemical reaction. You can say it's not something that you can stop from happening. You'd like anger or sadness or whatever it is. It's going to show up, but it's how you deal with it that makes the difference. So give yourself Mm -hmm. that moment to examine it and say, no, 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 I'm in charge here. Exactly. That's so freaking good. You also talked a bit about boundaries, which I thought was really interesting because I think I'm like super introspective, right? I've read a million Mm -hmm. self-help books, but it wasn't (laughs) until I was in therapy after my daughter that I realized I had a big problem with codependency and boundaries, but I've Mm -hmm. never looked at it the way you mentioned it was boundaries with your children. I always keep thinking of boundaries with my own fucked up family, but boundaries <laughs> with your children is also so important, especially
1: as they get older. So that was kind of a new thought for me. Because we're not pushed to give our children boundaries. We're right. not pushed to have boundaries with our kids. Like, you know, if your kids are crawling all over you at the end of a long day, you know, and you yell at them, like, get off of me. I'm tired of being touched. There goes that guilt again, because you're like, oh, I shouldn't have told my children not to touch me. They're going to be young. You know, what are the things that we hear all the time? They're going to be young for so long. They're only going to be young for so long. You have Which to- just gives me anxiety, by the way. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Good God you need to enjoy every moment. I wish my children were still that old. So you start thinking like, Oh my gosh, like I really should not be putting these boundaries between me and my children. I should not be getting tired of them, you know, by five 30 and needing a break, or I shouldn't be asking them to stop touching me because there's going to be a time where they don't want hugs. You wind up hearing that so often that you just start assuming that your boundaries mean nothing. And I'm not saying that every person who co-sleeps does this, but I know people who are co-sleeping, you know, well past when they actually want to, but they're Mm -hmm. like, oh, but you know, he gets upset when I kick him off the bed. And, you know, I just really don't feel good about making him upset. And it's like, what about your boundaries? (laughs) What about the fact that- What about yourself? Yeah, what about the fact that you want your bed back? Like if you want your bed back, then yes, again, here we go with the selfishness. Be selfish. Tell yourself, listen. I deserve to have my own spot to sleep in. I deserve to have that boundary between me and my child. And then at that point, yes, you're going to feel a little bit of guilt, but you know that you're doing something that's right for you, and that they're eventually going to get over. It that's going to be right for them as
0: well. So I think that's such a good point too. Is it's going to be right for them as well? They develop. I mean, depending on how young a child is, independence, mm-hmm. security in themselves, right? Respect for somebody else in their boundaries. It's not. A bad thing for them.
1: No, not at all. And so, you know, just because they cry, crying doesn't automatically indicate that you're doing the wrong thing, but right. it does awaken that intrinsic mom guilt thing where you're like, oh man, I made them cry. I'm not supposed to do that. I mean, you know, the boundaries thing, I've never really had a problem with the boundaries thing. More, because... I love that about you. It's like, I had to go through <laughs> hell to get to
0: this point of finally, like, I need to put myself first. I need to set boundaries. I need to be selfish. But you're like, no, I was like this in high school and now I'm a mom and I'm telling everyone how to get to my level, but that's so good. I'm like a little jealous you didn't have to like
1: go through the grinder with me, but (laughs) it's so good. good. If I'm totally honest, you know, the thing that made me this way about boundaries was the fact that I had to live in a tiny basement apartment with a toddler and a baby for forgot how many months. I never went out. I never did anything. And I was stuck with these kids all the time. And one day my husband came home after a particularly bad day. He came home from a work trip to see me sitting in front of the front door, finishing off a bottle of plum wine. And I was just like, I resent you. I resent the kids. I resent everybody. And he was like, whoa, what happened? And that was when I realized I was like, I have no boundaries. I have no boundaries. These kids are in my face all day. Yeah. I never get to go do anything by myself. And anytime that they are supposed to be, you know, out of my face, they're not. And I am in control of everything. And I was also potty training my son, which was hard at the time. And so it was just like, you know, at that point I kind of realized, so I did kind of go through a little bit of a a grind there just because I was like, listen, we've got to put some boundaries down or you're going to wake up and I'm going to be halfway across the country. I think it was in Untamed, which I've literally brought
0: up in every interview I've done. The book by Glennon Doyle, Untamed, where she says the best compliment a woman and a mother can receive is that she is selfless and that's bullshit. But I mean, she doesn't say that's bullshit, but it's not a good thing to be selfless. When you give yourself away to everybody, you have nothing left to give. Like this is not the goal
1: of motherhood. That's part of the reason we have the problems we do now. Because we're told that. We're told like, oh, you're only a good mom if you're selfless. And it's like, who says? <laughs> like, who right. says? That's right. not,
0: no. So you, do you think it's just conditioning from when we were young? Like seeing films and pop culture and the
1: people around us? Oh, totally. I think that it's absolutely just that we are carrying something that has been guarded as truth or guarded as truth for years. I feel like this was a problem when our parents were kids. It's been going on forever that there's always been this attitude of like, moms are the selfless caretakers and their dreams no longer matter. And it's left over. Not that I think that the two are necessarily the same. They're not. But I do think that they are linked, both sexism and racism, because I think that we still have people who like to argue that sexism doesn't exist anymore. And that's obviously not true. (laughs) It's just like ridiculous. (laughs) Yeah. They'll say, oh, you know, no, we've solved sexism. And it's like, no, we clearly haven't. It's just like, and I've said this before in a talk that I did before about racism. I said, you know, people like to believe that racism doesn't exist, but it's not that it doesn't exist. It's that our old belief of what racism is it's evolved it is now no longer as overt and it's the same with sexism sexism is no longer as overt like we're not going so far as to push people you know to make sure that the wife is in the home wearing an apron making dinner for the man and you know taking care of the kids but we are making it so that child care is not subsidied or paid for in any shape or form. We're making it so that if you have family obligations as a mother, you generally do, it's very hard to make absolutely certain that workplaces are going to have places for you to pump or that they're going to give you any sort of leeway if you need time to leave for your kids or to leave a meeting to take care of family obligations. We eventually almost kind of make it so that if you can, you get forced back into the home because of things like that. Yes. Yeah. So this whole belief that, oh, well, no, now moms can do anything they want. It's like, yeah, they can if they're blessed enough to have all of the options to do so. Otherwise, they're absolutely trying to push you right back into the homemaker role. You brought up so
0: many awesome points that have just made me think about things in a new way. And I could talk to you for like 10 more hours, but I won't do that. I love that you said- that if you're very lucky to be able to afford childcare, to be able to have affordable health care, to be able to do the things, then women can do anything, right? But that's not for
1: everybody. No, not at all. And we've been kind of doing that on purpose. <laughs> and I truly believe that that has been something that we've been trying to do on purpose to keep things closer to the way that they were, because we still haven't let go of a lot of old ideals. But I had an absolute blast talking to you, too. It was fantastic. So thank you for having me. Thank you so much.
0: Will you tell everybody where they can find you on Instagram and also at your
1: book? On all social media. Doesn't matter which one you look for me on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook. Doesn't matter. I am the Nyam Project. That's the and then N-Y-A-M. So just stands for not your average mom. And you can find the Nyam Project anywhere. Uh And then as far as the book goes, the book is called Shame on You, Big Truths from a Bad Mom. And it'll be available for everybody on Amazon as of July 7th of this year.